0: I'd like to read this morning from uh, Ruth, we're on Ruth chapter 2, it's on page 223 or it's on the screens. Uh, if you just joined us uh, and haven't been following the series or don't know the story, uh, i will not go into detail, but the first chapter is really about Naomi uh, and her husband Elimelech who uh, leave a famine country uh, of the promised land and that famine reflects a spiritual famine that's in the country. Um, and they rather than stay and turn and back to God they leave and go to Moab where they think they'll get food they go with their two sons their two sons get married down there and then the two sons die and so Elimelech also dies so Naomi is left with nobody but Ruth and Orpah their daughter her daughters-in-law and she hears that there's a return to Uh, fruitfulness in the promised land which signifies that the people themselves had returned to god as well and so she makes her way back with ruth who doesn't want to leave her Uh, orpah stays in moab but ruth goes back with her uh, into the unknown in many ways and so we catch up with the story of them coming back they heard that god was blessing uh, their land with a harvest can i read uh, the last verse of chapter one and then through to verse 18 of chapter two So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she said to her, Naomi said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your father in, uh, sorry, all that you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This is the word of God. And uh, we look forward to spending some time around this passage. So if there's one thing, Ruth is a really interesting book. Um, One of the main themes of Ruth is that returning to God trumps everything if you take nothing else from the sermon today or from this message or from worship remember that returning to god trumps everything whatever you've gone into this week thinking is important thinking is significant and vital i'm telling you today there's nothing more important in your life than returning to god if you need to and in many ways as christians that's the that's the the caricature that's the direction that's the the, the way our life is molded it's a constant facing of returning to God so it's not just kind of for someone who might be drifting away from God but it's for all of us that we have this focus we're eyeballing God in our lives spiritually every day uh, and what we see in the story of Ruth is the transforming power of grace for those who return to him okay So this is a great story, it's a tremendous story that speaks volumes to us about how much grace actually changes us from the inside out. So we'll change the way you walk out of here, and we'll change the way you deal with uh, the events of this week uh, that God will, by his grace, allow you to enjoy. And as we look at this book, we need to remember, as we've mentioned before, that the truth that is in this book transcends the culture into which it's written. So you may read the book and say, well, I don't know anything about this culture. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand uh, what's happening. It's miles away from 21st century uh, experience and first world living. Uh, How can it be relevant? We need to be wise enough to learn from the culture into which it's written, to understand it was very different, but that God works in each of these cultures right through into our own, and that this is part of God's word. And so the truth that God wants us to know transcends the culture into which it was written. In other words, it's not old-fashioned and it's not out of date. Just because we don't understand the the relationships between men and women and between uh, slaves and masters and everything that went on in these days. Human beings don't really change. And God's message to us and God's truth to us doesn't change. So this is very much about life and faith. I know it's from the Old Testament, before Christ, Uh, therefore they were a lot less privileged than you are today you sitting here are very privileged because you can look back on uh, all of the new testament and all the knowledge of christ and what he's done and that makes the responsibility you have deeper nonetheless there are great lessons for life and faith that we can take from ruth for ourselves so let's look at the story today there's two things that i want to mention the first is god in our lives and the second is faith in our lives very simple things god and faith and look at how this story, it teaches us about these things in our lives. So, in this story about God in our lives, we can see if we look at this story, we can see it from two perspectives. Okay, you can see it uh, from the perspective of God. In other words, we know that God's doing a lot of things in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, and we know He's got a purpose and a plan. We, we've seen that, and we know that from Scripture that He is he has a purpose he has a plan he has a sovereign will nothing happens randomly nothing happens by chance that ruth uh, is part of the genealogy of jesus so that what we have here is god protecting the forebearers of jesus so that uh, jesus can be born and we also have a reflection of god working in the lives of uh, these people revealing his redemption and his grace to them before the coming of jesus so god's got a clear purpose and a plan And yet, we also get the story from Naomi and Ruth's point of view, and Boaz, and it's not necessarily so clear to them. A lot of the time, they're walking in the dark, and they can't see God's purposes and don't know God's plan. Can I read a poem to you, which you'll all know? Nah, I shouldn't say that. Maybe you don't know it. Uh, Maybe the young things here don't know it. The older generation here will probably know it, because it gets wheeled out at lots of things. But it's called Life is a Weaving. And it's kind of saying what I'm trying to say here. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaves steadily. Oft times he weaves sorrow and I in foolish pride forget. He sees the upper and I see the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern that he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. So it's that picture, isn't it, of a, a tapestry that looks beautiful and patterned and ordered on the top. But if you turn it upside down, it's a complete mess of threads just going everywhere. It doesn't seem to make any sense. And sometimes that's the picture that we have in Scripture. God knows his perspective And then there's the reality of what's happening on the ground. So can I look at that for a moment? God's perspective and also the perspective on the ground. God's God's perspective here comes through the narrative and through the narrator and through gentle hints in the text. We don't start with a saying, "Okay, this is what God's going to do. A, B, C, D, Z, and then have the story. But we get hints throughout the story that God is uh, in control. And we have two gentle hints in this story. The first um, and I'm stealing Corey's thunder here, because I think cory last week said he was going to make some great comments about the barley harvest. I'm first. It's my turn. So I'm going to make them, and I'm going to steal his thunder. Uh, the end of verse uh, of chapter 1 says, They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Now, that might just seem an incidental fact to us, but it was significant to God, and it's significant to the narrator, and in some ways to, also obviously to Ruth and Naomi. But the paradox of that statement is that you remember Corey last week mentioned that Naomi left, we're told that Naomi left the promised land at a time of famine, and that she said she left full. Now that didn't mean she left full physically of food, but it meant she left full of her own self-reliance and self-importance So she was going to sort out things herself. And she left the promised land full. And then at the end of the chapter, we're told she she comes back empty. Don't call me blessed. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara bitter because i've come back god has emptied me so she realizes there's a spiritual happened she's gone away full of herself she's coming back empty and in need of god and yet in the story we're told that physically there was famine in the land at the beginning not fullness but when naomi comes back empty there's harvest in the land there's fullness there's a barley harvest Now, that's an interesting paradox there because it signifies that what God was doing in Naomi's life, he'd done in the people of Israel's life because we mentioned at the first sermon that the physical famine reflected a spiritual famine. And so the physical harvest also reflected that the people who had stayed returned to God, learned the lesson of the famine, and uh, knew God's blessing again. You know, we we said that in the Old Testament, the spiritual truths were much more kind of physical, much more tangible. Well, this is one of them. They they didn't have Christ on the cross. Uh, They didn't have a a risen Savior to look back on. So their faith was expressed by God for them in much more physical, tangible ways often. So the harvest spoke of that he was blessing them again. And it was tangible. Now, this barley harvest was the first harvest. It was um, March, April, March, April time. It was the first harvest. It was uh, the harvest that was particularly celebrated by the poor because they made bread with it. And so they would be fed. Remember that they came from Bethlehem, the house of bread. And there was no bread. And so there was bread. There was going to be bread provided for them again. And it was harvested at the same time as the people celebrated the feast of Passover, which they were to celebrate to remember their freedom from slavery in egypt remember the lord passed over their first uh, the, the, their houses when they were covered in the blood and they escaped into the promised land and so it was a time of celebration a time of hope and a time of newness and looking forward so this barley harvest incidentally mentioned here is the narrator and god ultimately through his spirit reminding us that what was happening was significant spiritually something is happening something celebratory something where he would provide in ways that they hadn't known before so that's the first uh, hint in the text of god's perspective the second hint is this rather um anomalous parenthesis at the beginning of verse 2 a verse that's stuck in there that's not really part of the story yet Uh, naomi and ruth and then all of a sudden we have now naomi had a relative of her husband a worthy man of the clan of elimelech whose name was boaz and that's it and then it goes back to ruth and naomi's story He's never been mentioned before but this gentle kind of hint of this text being put in here is a reminder that God's got a plan and it's going to involve Boaz and he's significant even though Naomi and Ruth don't know him at this point and of course in verse 4 it goes on to say and behold Boaz came from Bethlehem and so he then is involved in the story but God knows and God in, it involves us in that knowledge by saying who boaz is and why he's significant he goes on to become a redeeming uh, generous extravagant character who reflects jesus christ it's a type of jesus christ but we'll see that more in future weeks so that's god's perspective he's got a purpose he's got a plan he's working out something here but then if we look at the perspective on the ground we have naomi and ruth here now naomi's come back and she's been emptied by god she feels she's got nothing left, that God has judged her for what she's done. And yet, pleasingly and happily, and I like Naomi, she's good. She's given a hard time by the biblical scholars and commentators. I like her. Naomi's come back here. She's, a, she's, she's far from perfect, and we, we're going to see some more of her mischievous ways later on but um she's drawn back to this repentant community she hears about what's happening she knows god's blessing them with harvest she knows she has to go back because god's dealing with her and she goes back she's very like the prodigal you know she's the prodigal daughter here not the prodigal son it's similar kind of story she goes she realizes her only hope is getting something back from god as she returns to the promised land yet Uh, It must have been so hard for her, eh? Can you imagine? She had a fragile trust. She takes faltering steps back. She doesn't know how she's going to be accepted. She's going back with a Moabite girl, uh, how she will be accepted, who will give her money, or who will provide when there was no welfare state. What would it be like for her? Would she be ostracized and rejected? She didn't know the plan. She didn't know what God was doing. She couldn't see his purposes ultimately for grace and love for her really at this stage so there's naomi and then there's ruth ruth's different naomi was a a returner a backslider coming back to faith slowly gently ruth has a new faith she's come to trust in god she is going to have to be part of a new community Uh, she's going to have to be part uh, of a new life she's left her, her country behind she's left her family behind and uh, she doesn't know what lies ahead for her either she's young she's lashed with this older lady is it going to mean it's going to be difficult for her to get a, a husband is she going to be poverty stricken will she be rejected but we see with her she also doesn't know but she just goes out and obeys she's finding herself poverty stricken and so what she does is she realizes that in israel when the harvest is happening god has ordained that the harvesters didn't harvest at the side of the fields so that the poor could pick up the crops from the side that was god's provision for the poor he said to people with crops don't harvest at the sides and let the poor come in and harvest there she recognized she would be like a slave she would have to go and harvest and work hard and just see what happened and the middle of verse three says an interesting thing it says um Uh, So she set out and uh, went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of a field belonging to Boaz. Now, the actual translation is that she, by coincidence, came to this place. She didn't know it was Boaz's place. She didn't know what plans God had for her and Boaz. By coincidence, just by chance, she came here. You see, from her perspective, she was just going out to a field, and it was just a random field she chose. It was chance. It was a fluke. god you but from her point of view it looked just like a fluke now i would go as far as to say that even fluke or even chance which i believe in is ordained by god which i also believe but from our perspective what looks like chance just a fluke field that she happens to go in she didn't know what lay ahead because of that she just went out and obeyed and so she trusted and obeyed and didn't know what the future would hold okay so i'm going to stop at this point and ask some questions because when we look at scripture, let's apply it and let's think what God's doing in our lives and what we're thinking. So I'm going to ask some questions that I I ask and maybe you will ask as well. What is God doing in my life? What is God doing in your life today? Maybe you're like Naomi today. Maybe you feel that you've been emptied of all that you thought was filling you. And that you've got a brokenness and just a, a feeling of emptiness spiritually that you feel God is not blessing you in your life and i'm saying if that's how you feel that's a good place to be if you return to god like naomi did and recognize that his hand is on you and that you must confess your sins and turn back to him if 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 your life is such and if my life is such that we have no time for depending on god if we've no time for praying to him, if we've no time for building and drawing and deepening that relationship with him, if we're wanting to take the benefits of salvation for that day of judgment, but live however we want to live now in our own strength, in our own reliance, then God, I'm telling you, will empty you because you're his child and he loves you. And I'm telling you, he'll empty you because he loves you and because he wants to bring you to your knees back to himself. We don't see the end of the story here with Naomi, but he deals in great love and great patience and great graciousness with her. But sometimes he will empty us of all the things we think are important and significant and self-reliant in order to make us realize that our dependence and our reliance must be on him. And if you're in that empty place today, a place of darkness, fall on your knees and ask God to fill you again. There's no kind of... um, uh, period that he requires of, of obedience before he works just fall on your knees today before him and and ask in your life if what he is doing is intended to bring you back to himself the emptiness but then we can possibly ask all the question what does it mean to live by faith Some people think to live by faith means that we have such a relationship with God that we can just ask him for guidance and he writes it down on a bit of paper for us and everything's clear, whether it's the job we take, the partner we have, the house we buy, uh, the decisions we make, the way we spend our money, and it's all absolutely clear cut to us. I don't believe that's how God works, and certainly in the story of Ruth, it's not how he works uh, Ruth here obviously comes to that place where she has committed her life to Christ. She's going to a new community and uh, all sorts of things might be happening. And she doesn't know the end of the story. She doesn't know how it's going to work out. She just simply seeks to obey, trust and obey. There's no other way but to trust and obey. And uh, very often, that will be how we find it. We will move forward by faith, we will pray. We will obey, but we will not get a divine bolt of lightning writing on the wall telling us exactly what to do with our lives because there's not much faith needed in that. The faith is needed when we take the steps of obedience wherever he will lead. And as we look back, we can see that. There's a great uh, old Puritan called John Flavel, and he says the providence of God are like Hebrew words. They can only be read properly backwards. Okay? So, those of us who are Hebrew scholars know that. Of course, I'm just explaining to you that you read Hebrew backwards. Okay? And that's very true of providence very often, of God's guidance. Sometimes we move forward in faith, and it's only as we look back that we can see clearly exactly what he's guided us. I'm sure that was true, would have been true for Ruth and Naomi in their lives. And much of what we do might seem just like like fate, like chance, uh, like coincidence. But nothing happens that way. The people you meet, can I say, the people who are in church today, the people you will see during the week, none of it is by coincidence. And you have to act in every situation with faith and obedience. And we will see the outworking of that. Okay. Uh, The third question briefly on this first point is, and this is slightly random, but I think it's related, is, is to do with our church community, whether it's attractive or not. Naomi was attracted back to the promised land, to the people of God, and to the barley harvest, she knew that they had been spiritually exercised and and active, and that they'd repented and turned back to God. And with all her questions, with all her fears, with all her doubts, she was willing to go back there, because there was an attraction about that people in whom God was working. Now, if we are living our lives as a Christian community, not just as random individuals, but also as a people of God who are encouraging each other to return to God, to look to God, to be praying to God, not just to be going our own way and turn up once in on a Sunday and that's all it for the rest of the week, but to be a community of people who are living out their faith in a vibrant and in a real way. If we're responsive to God, I believe that as a people, then we will attract drifters and converts. Naomi was a drifter. Ruth was a convert that is who God will send to us because we are working and we are responsive to his word and responsive to his will he will send us people who are far from the faith but who want to come back and also people new to the faith now that's can I just say by way of uh, my parenthesis here that's one of the interesting things that's happened in the church plants that we have particularly Morningside which is slightly further on our cornerstone is that the people that have come to Cornerstone uh, they're our own <coughs> core and then there's new people but there's also new converts and interestingly returners people who have been away from church for years who have found it easier and more attractive to go back to that setting for maybe a multiplicity of reasons but maybe partly because it's smaller maybe partly because there's a sense of newness and freshness of God at work and yet they've attracted them and I think in a living church, if we're not attracting converts and drifters, then God's saying to us, Get, get back to me. Turn back to me as a people. Don't be proud. Don't be self reliant. Don't be complacent. Turn back to me together. Uh, returning to God, I'm saying, is the most important thing in the world. Okay, that's the first thing, which is um, God in our lives. The second thing I want to mention is faith in our lives, okay? And that comes very clearly through the story uh, here of Ruth uh, in, in the passage we read. Because if, if we have been touched by God, if we have returned to God, if he is beginning to fill us spiritually, having been emptied spiritually, then our lives will be transformed. We don't, we're not people who say, I became a Christian 20 years ago, and I'm the same person now as I was then. You know, it's not that we, we become Christians and then we carry on the way we are. We come, we new new creations. We're babes in Christ. And then we grow and we're transformed and we're changed. In other words, I'm saying faith, understanding grace, understanding what Jesus has done for us will transform our hearts. I'm telling you, from the inside out, it will make us different people. And if it doesn't, we haven't understood grace and we haven't understood our need. We're all different. We're not going to be robots. We'll be transformed in the unique way that God has created us, but to become like Christ. And what I'm saying is that if we're Christians, the faith that we have should make us beautiful people. It should be making us, we should be becoming beautiful people because we're becoming like Jesus. That's what's true. And we should be changing. Sometimes we say, i'm a christian i'm unchanging i'm unflinching and we mix up the unchanging nature of who god is with the inevitable need for change in our own lives to become like the unchanging one so you've got two characters here well you've got more but i'm going to look at boaz briefly and ruth we'll deal with naomi later on because god deals with her more so this is more about ruth and boaz boaz he is someone who is a believer And we see it in his character just oozes out of this chapter beautifully. And some of it is implicit, it's not that clear. We know he's faithful because he stayed in the promised land, even during the famine. He didn't resort to going down to Moab and leaving, which God uh, forbade them to do. Uh, He stayed and presumably he examined his own heart and returned to the Lord and was part of a people. Who he, may, he may have remained righteous right through it and he may have felt like these people are just absolutely godless and they're just doing what's right in their own eyes and their idolatry. But he, did, he stayed there and he was part of that re- renewal and revival which brought them a harvest again. Um, and also interestingly, and this is kind of once removed, but uh, he's slightly older by this time. He's, as we see later in the, the story, he's, he's a fair bit older than Ruth. And he comments on that later in the story. But he also didn't do what many of the guys of his day and power did, which was go anywhere like Samson or people like that uh, and uh, some of the other uh, patriarchs and go down and choose wives from foreign nations, which they were also forbidden to do. He was single. He was faithful to God in that. And he was waiting on God for God to provide for him. He was obedient to God because, like I mentioned about the harvest, he had commanded his harvesters not to harvest round the edges, so that the poor would get their food. He recognised that as being important and significant. He was gracious and respectful. You know, the lovely uh, um, interaction between himself and his workers. He's, you know, he said, "The Lord be with you," and they said, "The Lord bless you." You know, there was a good relationship. He wasn't a kind of oppressive, uh, harsh dictator. But they respected him, and he respected them. And he spoke to the servant who was in charge, and he asks about Ruth, and then he uh, he goes and speaks to Ruth. Now he deals with Ruth beautifully, and I'm not for a moment suggesting that there wasn't a twinkle in his eye by this stage, and that that may have possibly coloured the way he treated her. But we can see that that's how he treated other poverty-stricken people, and she was the poorest of the poor. She was a Moabitess. She wasn't even a Jewish poor, Moabitess. She could be on the complete outside. Yet he speaks to her. He provides for her. He uh, cares for her. He keeps her from danger. He uh, is friendly to this woman. And that for me is the greatest thing about him, is his friendliness to the outsider. Why is he so friendly to Ruth? Is it just mere attraction? Don't think so. Do you remember who his mother was? His mother was Rahab, the prostitute, who saved, helped save the Israelites at Jericho and became part of the people of God. He was an outsider. He came from a family of outsiders who came into the people of God. And he knew what it was to be like to be an outsider. And he took from his own family experiences and it reflected in his, the way gracefully he treated Ruth. Ruth. Uh, in her situation. I think, I think Boaz is one of the most outstanding characters in the Bible. Because remember the day he lived in it. I've just been reading Genesis just now. And a bunch of mentals in Genesis. They did mental things. And yet they're part of the people of God. And yet Boaz is so upright. Uh, and yet so manly and, and courageous and strong. Anyway, enough about Boaz. Ruth. Uh, we also see that grace, truth transforms her in the way that she lives okay she's unprivileged underprivileged however you might want to say it she's lost her husband she's lost her home environment her family area she had put her trust in god as her savior There's a lovely verse verse 12 where boaz speaks about her and says uh, uh, the lord uh, you'll get a full reward be given to you by the lord the god of israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge so this is this is her testimony she had put her faith and trust in God. She had rested in him like a mother hen comes in for protection under the wings of its... Uh, the chicks come under the wings of the mother hen. So she had come under the protection of God for her redemption and salvation. And that was known. That was that was repu- a reputable fact in the community. People knew. Uh, Boaz had heard about her. She was loyal to Naomi. She was respectful. She was hardworking. You know, she... Didn't hardly stop for a break when she went to work in the fields. She didn't button. She didn't demand. She was just a gracious, gentle, uh, Christ-like, if I can say, character even before Christ's time. And faith in God influenced her life, and influenced her decisions, and influenced what she did. And what I'm saying is that it simply can't be hidden if we have a genuine faith we can try our hardest to suppress it and not let other people know, but it will just come out. It will come out because of the the Christ-likeness of our character. Because faith, genuine faith that understands who we are and what we've been redeemed from will come out. And it will, because our lives will be transformed. Boaz's life was transformed, and so should ours be. And that's what I want to finish, just with some practical applications of faith, in life transforming us because that's what we should do ruth and boaz their life was transformed so faith in your life you should go from here don't just wait and listen to the sermon and think i was a good sermon or a poor sermon and go out of here it's the same recognize that your faith in jesus christ requires you to go and live a certain type of life for him a christ-like attractive uh, attractional life for him I just want to say three things. The first is the extravagance of God's grace, which we see in this story, and it's pointing towards. Remember I talked about God having the bigger picture here, and the story is pointing forward. And Boaz is very much a type of Christ. And we begin to see it in this chapter, in the way he deals with Ruth, but it it becomes much more evident the further on we go, uh, as he deals also with Naomi. But Boaz is very much... Introduced as a redeeming character here, a protecting character. Uh, He points forward to Jesus, who is not the house of bread, Bethlehem, but the bread of life. I am the bread of life, the one who provides uh, the good news, the extravagance, uh, the blessing, in what we think sometimes are the random experiences of our lives, as we turn to God, He is using them and showing them, showing us how great He is. Returning to God Is the most important thing because we will be, we will experience the extravagance of His love. You think returning to God is going to bind you? You think it's going to be dull? You think it's going to be miserly? Because somehow, if it's good to be a Christian, it must be a miserable experience if we're going to have a great time in heaven. He doesn't. It doesn't work like that. He says if we trust Him, even in the darkness, that He pours out His extravagant love. Ephesians, which we looked at, makes that clear that he will do exceedingly above and beyond what we can ask or even imagine. Your imagination can be very dramatic and it can imagine great things. And he says, I will give you above and beyond what you can ask. He's a generous God. Uh, The cross is his visual gift, as the harvest was a visual gift here. It's his visual gift of his love, commitment, cost, Sacrifice, atonement, gift uh, on our behalf. That as we trust in Him, who deserves nothing, He will give us Himself. He will give us eternal life. He will give us what we uh, need in this life as we put our faith and trust in Him. Extravagance of God's love. And then, secondly, the priority, and I've got this in inverted commas, of reckless faith. Okay? From our point of view, very often our faith seems like a reckless thing to do our very wise mentors tell us don't believe in God don't don't walk the walk of faith don't be ridiculous you take control you make the decisions you be number one priority in your life but the gospel is a gospel of reckless faith that is from our point of view uh, Naomi it seemed reckless to go back to the promised land it could mean her death Ruth she was giving up everything to go back and there wasn't much potential there for her, let's be honest. And yet she trusted and obeyed. It may have seemed reckless. And you may think today in your suffering, in your darkness, in the testing you're going through, in the doubt that you're feeling, in the circumstances of your life, that it's reckless to trust in God. I think I'll just go and make my own way. And he says, no, returning to me trumps everything. It's not reckless to go against what everyone else is thinking and saying because i am sovereign and i am lord and i am creator and i am redeemer and i am judge it's not reckless i love you stop blaming me stop accusing me stop grumbling against me and simply put your trust in me it's not reckless even though we think it might be it is the way of hope and the way of grace returning to god trumps everything go on your knees today when you get home if you are far from god and if you think that faith is a reckless waste of time and ask him to show you himself and the last thing very briefly is the undeniable beauty of grace in our lives just as it was in the life of ruth and in the life of boaz if we come to christ if we put our faith in christ if we seek to serve and obey him out of love and are constantly turning back to him, in other words, repenting of things we've done wrong and sins that separate us from him, that will, I'm telling you, make you a beautiful person. It's not what we are in ourselves. It's not what we can drum up of our own abilities. As we return to God and live the life of grace, it will be beautiful. Spurgeon has got a great quote on this, and he speaks about character. The old preacher, Baptist preacher, he said, a good character is the best tombstone those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you listen so carve your name on hearts not marble isn't that great carve your name on hearts not marble in other words it's not it doesn't matter what the the marbles uh, statements say about your life and how great it was carve your influence on the hearts of people around about you by living out a life of christian character in your everyday. You know, Boaz was right up here. He was a big, significant, important person. Ruth was right down there. Didn't make any difference. They were equal before God. And Ruth in her way had great influence, and so did Boaz in his way. We don't know really you be leaders and politicians and significant business people by the world standards. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be Christ-like and let faith transform your life so that it's reputable, as Ruth's was. You know, be good bosses, be good workers be diligent, be honest, be humble, be selfless, serve God, and be part of God's community of returning people. Don't just wander off on your own and think, "Ah, well, the church is a waste of time, the church is just full of hypocrites. It's just an excuse. Deal with your own heart before God and come among God's people and be a returner among God's people and be part of this work of renewal. Because then your faith will be spoken of. And you wouldn't need to work at it. You wouldn't need to think, how can I witness to God today? Because you will be witnessing. You will serve him by grace shining from your life. And then you will, you will tell when the opportunity arises. And you know the most important thing, and I said this at the first service as well, for me anyway, at least, the most important thing, both uh, as a church and as uh, uh, individuals, but uh, as a church, it's knowing where we've come from means that we will love the outsider that to me is the real mark here in Boaz he just loved the outsider and that as a church let's be people and as individuals let's be people who love the outsider because we were we're outsiders we're outsiders in, in the world of secularism we're also outsiders of God's grace until we come to him by grace and we know what it is to be on the outside so we should be a people and when god is working in our church i honestly believe the church should attract new converts and returners and we will we will attract returners because they will come here and they will not be judged they will not say oh i haven't seen them for a long time what are they doing back here what do they want or it, even more significantly we might notice the ones who do you know do you notice who's not here today are you aware of who might not have been among the community of god's people for weeks and weeks here do you care do we care about those who are drifting on or do we just want to keep the group that you know is as insular looking in to one another that we get a good crack with what about those who are on the outside who's looking out for them who's praying for them How are we attracting them back? Are we aware as a community of these people? Naomi made a great impact when she came back and Ruth did also. And she was attracted into that community. I hope that that is the kind of church we are. a Great challenge to us and individuals that we are also. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we ask and pray that you would bless and guide us in our lives, that we would see that faith... Uh, in this story from so long ago but so much part of god's word it reminds us that faith transforms our lives and changes our lives changes our attitude to the christian community changes our attitude to one another to new converts and to returners to those who are struggling Uh, remind us lord that faithfulness is about faithfulness when we don't know the future when we feel famine uh touched or we feel emptied by god may our response be like naomi to take that emptiness and return to god even if it's only fragile faltering steps forgive us for being proud and for being independent and for being careless of the spiritual needs of others or from any kind of hypocrisy or self-righteousness that so often will enter into our own hearts we pray for humility and for cleansing and bless us lord in all that we do and say and think in our worship and in our lives, for Jesus' sake.